Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the May 20th, nope, this is the May 14th episode. We are going to jump right in because we've actually already started our conversation on Isaiah. Uh, that's sort of where we, we jumped in. Reading Isaiah just now this morning. I don't remember what I read before today, but there's so much of it that, especially when I think of the timeline of it and put it in the context of the Kings, it's all of it. Ah, it feels like it's already, it's not end times. It feels like it's all leading up to Jesus prophecies. Oh, that's so funny to me. It's like, it goes back and forth. It's all over the place. Like there's Jesus. Well, there's a little bit of that. And then there's, yeah. But even when I think like, so Isaiah nine, what do we read? Well, nine is obviously Jesus. And then 11, 11 is this one that I was like, if my dad was reading this, this is all like literal Israel and the nations that are around Israel, Moab and Assyria are now these other so it's very literal, but if I read it, when I was thinking about it in relation to the Kings and Babylon, because then there's another chapter 13 is all about Babylon. Like that sounds to me like stuff that's already happened and it's not, it feels really figurative, not literal when I read it, mm-hmm. as far as it's talking about terrible things that are to come, but for them to come, but not necessarily every single thing is going to happen the way it's written literally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think all that to say, it's just raised more questions. Like I just, I'm like, well, I don't even know what to do with this. I, in I some ways it feels like it fits a little bit better because I am familiar with the players more now that I've read the Bible more and I recognize names and where they came from. And I just, it's one of those things like to me, it's like, I see all of it everywhere. I see it then I see it. Mm-hmm in Jesus's time. And then I see it as something that's still to come. Like I was thinking about that. He writes on those tablets for a sign to Uriah and Zechariah mm-hmm. and thinking about how um, Zechariah wrote on a tablet, Jesus's name, Emmanuel, which is right. What he's talking about is the, the, the name of the son and how Zechariah had to write the name of his son, John on a tablet in preparation for I mean, I just think it's all happened. It's all, yeah, it all happened. It all happened again. And it's all going to happen again. Especially like, I love the part where he talks about um, how he's going to lead them through the water and sandals, just like he did in Israel. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's happening. Like that's going to happen again. I have like, and see, that's what I read that. That's one of the sections that I read this morning that I was like, I don't know. I feel like that's not literal. You know what I mean? But, but I know like that dispensational perspective is that God is, because I'm also reading it from a from this perspective where Israel, I don't necessarily look at scripture and see that God is going to do all these literal things, literal things for Israel because the church oh, right, right, right. is God's chosen. I don't like, either. It's yeah. so, but I know like that dispensational perspective is that like there's 
all these things that God promised Israel, he is going to do with Israel. Like Israel is Mm. still God's chosen people. The church is like this, it's part of it, but it's not. This is where that combination of what qualifies as righteous, right? So like Israel being like the righteous, the remnant who's still believing and waiting, you know, like who's still believing God. Like, I kind of think that there's a remnant of them that like their faith that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, whether like they don't understand that it's Jesus and it gets revealed to them and they get it and it all comes together in the end kind of thing. Like where all of that fits in that same um, righteousness by faith alone, kind of like we don't, we can't. So almost where we've always, mm, yeah, that's a tough one. I think like the way that we've like put God in this box of qualifying, what kind of faith is the kind of faith, like what kind of faith plus what else they believe actually qualifies them um, to be saved by the hand of God. I don't know that I I don't know that I have a box for that anymore. Like that faith, hope, and love (laughs) concept really goes back to like, like it's super simplified in my mind and it is all through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it will be revealed to be Jesus that He is that He is the coming King. But what else you have to believe in order to trust that like God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do? Like I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who's to say that the trumpet doesn't sound and we all are and we all are resurrected and then. They're like, oh, it was Jesus. You know what I mean? I really hope that's how it happens. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Because then like you really do have it like that. All those faithful Jews who are waiting for the coming King see him. And they're like, it was, you are, you are who you said you are. I don't know. I just think that's cool. It's cool to think about. It's really, again, it kind of brings back that whole like freedom of, it's not up to me. I don't have to decide whose faith qualifies and whose faith doesn't qualify. I don't have to worry about all of that. It's his hand that does it. He will do it. He will do it. He will do yeah. it. He will do it. He will do it. I think that's one of those things where like if I had a better grasp on my theological framework, <laughs> that would give me Do you know what I mean? Like those are the mm-hmm. kind of things where you're like maybe this could happen this way, but if if I follow all of the what I believe about scripture and follow it all through, then I probably could determine based on all the other things I believe mm-hmm. where I would stand on. You know what I mean? Like right, whether right, that right. fits into that whole thing or not. And so I, I think it goes both ways. I think, I think it's really helpful and healthy to have a the- theological framework, but I also like, I mean, you and I have talked about it so much too. That whole like sitting with wonder is also a really good place to be. yeah yeah because at the end of the day it doesn't depend on us and our joy and the fruits of the spirit can be exercised far more freely which is what we're supposed to be doing right now what we all we are supposed to be doing is worshiping him and out of our worship comes joy peace hope love patience kindness like all those all those things just come out of that freedom to trust that God will do it. And in the meantime, I will worship him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 
And that's the recap. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, it's kind of funny that we jumped into. There are two things I want to make sure you know about. First, we put together a Mother's Day special interview on the Dive Collective podcast, and it wasn't just good. Guys, it was seriously phenomenal. We had mothers in every stage of parenting, from infants to empty nesters, including my mother, sharing their greatest wisdom for their stage of parenting, and it was rich and edifying, and I cannot encourage you more strenuously to make sure you take some time to listen. You won't be sorry. Second, along the same lines of parenting, our parenting study is up in the shop at divecollective.org. I take you through several different Bible characters and what their lives tell us about parenting. It's nothing like you've ever studied before, and I think you're going to find it very encouraging and a great source of grace. Download it now and join us on May 18th on the network to discuss your key takeaways. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Now let's get back to the recap. I walked away from Isaiah just feeling like I really identified with Israel and Egypt, that whole like Israel in Egypt, Israel in Egypt, where they were just like, they were just waiting for him to do the thing that he said that they, that he was going to do, you know, 400 years, they stayed just waiting for him to do what he said he was going to do. And I think that as I read Isaiah, I was like, that's really what we are. Like all we are, are people that are, are doing what we're doing and waiting for God to do what he says he's going to do. Like, and that faith in the waiting that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And the waiting, I think gives him great pleasure. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that like, just gives him great pleasure, that trust that he's going to do it. And I never really thought about how beautiful it was for Miriam and Aaron and all of them to be under that oppression going, he's coming. This will come to an end one day. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that, like if we look at numbers and Exodus that we've been reading, the flip side of that pleasure God finds in the faith and the waiting is that it's the opposite. He has the opposite feeling when we don't trust him in the waiting. So many of the consequences that the Israel's ex- Israelites experience are just because of their lack of faith in yes. the waiting. Yeah. And then like Moses this week, we see where Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land because he hits the rock instead of, and it literally says, God says, because you didn't trust me, you yeah. don't get to go. So God takes great pleasure in our faith. And he expects us to trust it. Like he expects us to do that. Like it's this yes. thing where, oh, good. But, then, but then at the same time, we see his mercy over and over and over and over again, because he remembers that we're dust and he remembers that we aren't going to perfectly trust him all the time. And so there's always redemption. And you have to like, look at the story, right? The story mm-hmm. is all in context that their faithlessness, their complaints all came from the fact that they were they were a people completely dependent on hearing the word of the Lord from Moses. Right. And not that we aren't still complainers and all of that, but we are completely holy complainers because of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a different, the part of the story that we reside in is so much more beautiful than the part of the story that Israel resided in. So we wait with hope, but we wait redeemed with hope. Mm-hmm. Like, which is crazy that you just said, like, it's crazy to think that, because I, I agree with you that the part of the story we live in is so much more beautiful. And yet Israel actually saw the presence of God. Like yes. They saw God. <laughs> they saw him in a cloud and in a fire. And Moses yes. was like, hang on, guys, I got to go talk to God. He's got to go tell me what to say. I mean, it, it, he was so present in a, in a like tangible, different way. 
Yes. And yet, like what we have now, even though we don't see him hanging over a cloud anymore, like what that we have cloud now, and fire is in us. It's it's yeah, in us. Yes. And that's the thing too, is that if like his desire is that we experience that cloud and that fire every day, that we know that, that, that the glory of God resides in us every day. And we, while we don't feel it, we have access to it. Mm-hmm. And when we're not feeling it, we should be asking for more of it. That's the part that gives me great sorrow is yeah. that we walk around saved, but we mm-hmm. walk around without the presence of God or evidence of the presence of God in us. And that's, but that comes from worship. If we led lives of worship, out of that comes the presence of God dwelling in us in a more powerful and rich way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so going back to numbers, one of the things that really caught my attention, I don't even have to turn my pages because this was all so like vivid to me, but the thing that caught my attention is the way that there were guards set up outside of the tent of meeting that some of the Levites were called to be guardsmen and they were guarding that place and the holy place so that the priests could do their work like the so they could do the work of worship and they were provided for that the first fruits were given for them to partake in and the tithes were all given for the priests so that they they had to think about nothing else except worship and i was just thinking about how beautiful that is that god provided um, security and all of their necessities so that they could just do the work of ministry for Mm -hmm. the people. And as we were praying, as the leadership was praying for the church yesterday, I was just thinking about that. Like, you know, there's that responsibility that we have as church members to provide, to, to give our tithes and offerings so that the people who are leading the church can focus on Mm. the work of ministry. So when you're worried about your finances and when you're worried about where your provision is going to come from, it keeps you from being able to focus on the work of worship. And just that idea that God's intention was that the people doing the ministry could focus a hundred percent on the work of ministry, worship being the primary active leading, leading God's people. Yeah. There's a lot in numbers though. There is. So one of the things that stuck out to me, these two, well, two things, but they kind of tie together in chapter 19, it talks about the water of cleansing and they use this water whenever they're made unclean by anything, which was a lot of things that made them unclean. They used this water as part of the ritual to clean them. And the water contained ashes from this cow. And I was just thinking about how that such a picture of Jesus. A lot of this was talking about being cleansed from them being in the presence of death, but it talks about some other things too. But how the fact that death was required to cleanse them. Yes. To make them clean again, something had to die and they used the ashes Ashes. of that cow to cleanse them. Like just another example of God setting us up to be able to wrap our heads around Jesus and his sacrifice. And then along with that 19, just how I was thinking about how I don't come in contact with dead bodies often. I mean, you would in different lines of work, but like it was normal for them back then, much more normal than it is now, I think, to just be like, People were dying in their homes. Then it was a normal thing to be presented with death. And like they're, they're carrying, they're farmers. They're caring for livestock and animals that are dying. And anyway, it's not just death, but all of the other things that make them unclean. And we read a lot of that in Leviticus. And I just was thinking about, it made me think of David. We just read this Psalm a week or two ago. I think it was 
the one that he wrote after Bathsheba and he talks about how his sin is ever before him mm. and thinking about how these Israelites with this new law that God had given them the part we've talked before about the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. Right. And it was constant. And now we have this immediate confession. We have this, like we were just talking about, we have on this side of history, we have Jesus and repentance and confession and it's immediate and it's right there and it's personal, but these people had to go through the priests and then they had to stay unclean for certain amounts of time, depending on what it was. And I just was thinking about how constantly reminded they were of their need for cleansing. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was all the time. I mean, I don't know how you could even go through a day without the need to be cleansed from something. No, totally. It was all the time. Yes. As you're talking, I'm thinking like, how does this apply to us now? One of the things about spiritual formation that's really beautiful is that you watch as you submit yourself to the changing work of the Holy Spirit, like the work of the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit to change you because our whole life we're desiring to be made more like Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that one of the things that you notice as your spirit Mm -hmm. is being formed, what are you, you're nodding. I'm just, yeah, just, I'm just, I feel like I know where you're going and I'm agreeing with you already. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Just that, um, as you notice, the work of God changing your soul, it's a much more rapid response from sin to repentance. Just mm-hmm. you start to recognize your sin and repent for your sin at a much more steady pace. You know, it, it comes regularly. Yeah. It, you see it all. You see the it. Yeah. Yep. You repent of it immediately. And the thing that's beautiful about it is if it's, if it's all working right, you're not feeling condemned but every time that you repent, you're made just a little bit more like Christ. So whereas before in my life, I think I've felt like a failure when I've um, stumbled into the same kind of sin over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And more like when I'm walking in the spirit, it's more like, oh, it's just one more opportunity to be made more like Christ. You know, you like you cast it toward Jesus because that's what he came for. And then you go it doesn't help me. I don't get made more like Jesus by feeling terrible about it. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't, and, and feeling the shame and the condemnation and self-flagellating isn't what makes us more like Christ. It's the recognizing it and repenting from it and trusting that somehow that alone is doing a work in me mm-hmm. that is eternal and will be better for me tomorrow even. Mm-hmm. And that ties into the thing you, we were talking about, about worship. Like when we when we're recognizing our sin and repenting that that should be constantly leading us to worship because we're recognizing that it's not the only reason that we can do that, recognize our sin and repent is because of Jesus. Cause and God so, loved us so much. Yes. Like it's yeah. just this constant cycle of, and like you said before, living in constant worship is, I forget how you said it. Like that's what makes us more like Christ and it makes us effective as ministers of the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. like that's what, it makes our love genuine. It makes yeah. our humility divine. Yeah. It's, it makes it all real. It makes it all his. Yeah. So good. Um, Balaam. I remember yeah. last year, Balaam being, I remember thinking, wait, I thought Balaam was a pagan, but he's obviously God oriented. I remember being confused by that last year when we read it. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have the rest of Balaam's story to read, but I'm kind of like, I know I was bummed we didn't get to finish it this week. So far, 
Balaam is awesome. One more. Yeah. Because Balaam had, mm, okay. So I'm wrestling with Balaam's story because he asks God what he wants him to say. And God says, don't go. And he's like, I'm not going. And then the the servant comes back and is like, no, we really want you to come. He goes back to God and God's like, okay, go. Mm -hmm. So then he goes. But God says, okay, go, but you can only do what Mm -hmm. I tell you to do and say what I tell you to say. Mm -hmm. So Balaam goes off on his journey and then he's like beating his donkey because his donkey can see that Mm -hmm. the way is blocked and there's no way to go. And Balaam just gets angrier and angrier because he can't see what the problem is. And then the angel reveals himself and is basically like, what are you doing? Like, has your donkey ever um, led you astray before that you would beat him like this? Actually, I think the donkey says that to him, but the angel's mm-hmm. basically kind of like condemning him for, for this thing. And Balaam thinks that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. So I'm kind of like, I, I, I think we're only left to wonder what this was all about. Mm-hmm. And one of the wonderings that I have is like, was this God's way of just like reminding because he basically remem- he reminds him at this point, only do what I tell you to mm-hmm. do. So it's like, is the whole point just to say like, just to be clear, this is right. my mission and you can, you're only even able to go on this mission because I'm sending you, which makes me go back to that whole, like, he's a pagan. So like, God is like, I'm, I'm going to make sure you know who you're dealing with mm-hmm. on this journey, because this thing that you're going to do, like, it's important that you do it exactly mm-hmm. as I tell you to. So whether it just makes me think that this whole thing was just about like, it's a very steep learning curve about the character of this God that he's serving. So I actually thought about it kind of a little bit of a different direction that I'm not sure is accurate. But when I was thinking about it, I was, because that is kind of frustrating that Balaam is doing what God told him to do. And then God's like stopping. Gets in his way. Right. But Mike, I was kind of like, well, thinking, why didn't, Balaam see the angel the first two times. Mm-hmm. So was he, I guess I, I, cause I tend to think Balaam says this, I'm just going to do what God has. I'm just going to say what God has said me to told me to say, and he does it the first time. And then the second time he goes to God and God says, okay, you can go, but only say what I'm going to say. So it makes me wonder like what was happening in Balaam's heart as mm. he's going along the way. Mm-hmm. That he didn't. Right. That, that God, we don't know. Right. That we don't know that God f- found it necessary to interrupt his journey and remind him and that he didn't see the angel the first two times. That's good. It also says God helped. God showed Balaam. I think you used the words, the angel revealed himself. The message says God helped Balaam see what was going on. So mm-hmm. sometimes God, like we know God works that way sometimes. Or it says he, he opened his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's- so, so I just, it makes me wonder what, why was Balaam missing it the first two times? What was happening in his heart and mind that God recognized that he needed to stop him and remind him, by the way, you only get to say what I tell you to say. That's so good. I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. So stopping there, like that fits everything. Like we were, I've written, I wrote that whole devotional on Hagar opening the eyes and the road to Emmaus and how God mm-hmm. like keeps us blind to things because he has a work to do in mm-hmm. us before he can open our eyes to, sh- mm-hmm. to show us what is actually right before that he's right before us the whole time mm-hmm. doing what he's doing. I love that. You're right. Absolutely. Right. There's, well, I don't know. There's no way we can be sure, right. but based on everything else that we've talked about the way that God hides things until he opens our eyes to see mm-hmm. things. Yes. I a hundred percent am on board with the idea that 
Balaam, there was a work that was going on that God mm-hmm. was doing in Balaam's heart to show him. Mm-hmm. And even if it was because, just a, an instant maturing process right. to show him like, I am God. Yep. And thinking like purely as a human, Balaam is this guy, he has these big wigs coming from a really terrible country who could probably be willing to kill him at the drop of a hat if they don't hear what he wants them to, if he doesn't say what they want him to say, and also probably very willing to reward him if he does say what they want him to say. Like all they want is for him to curse their enemy, Israel. That's all they're asking for. And it seems an easy thing for Balaam to do given the little that we know about him, except he's He's saying, I'm going to just do what God's, I'm just going to say what God says. Okay. So also I may have skipped like a tiny bit ahead, but in chapter 24, which we're going to read this week, Mm -hmm. very first, the very beginning, it says by now Balaam realized that God wanted to bless Israel. So he didn't work in any sorcery as he had done earlier. So that makes me think that Balaam had this, like these guys, I remember thinking about this last year. These people went to Balaam for a reason. This King of, was it Edom? He go, I mean, why would he go to Balaam except that he expected him to do what he wanted him to do and curse Israel? Yes. And I then, love that translation. Mine says, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face yeah. toward the wilderness. And then the spirit of God comes on him and he gives another oracle. But, but it seems like Balaam had this reputation with, is it the king of Edom that goes... So Balak, son of Zippor, he was king of Moab. He's the one that goes to Balaam. So it seems like he probably went to Balaam because he expected him to do this easy thing and just curse Israel. Yes. And And honestly, like that first line makes me think like how beautiful it is that Balaam's motivation almost is like, it pleases the Lord. Like he's like, oh, he's like formed this relationship with God in this quick amount of time that he's like, I get to please the Lord. Yeah. This is what God wants to do. And he gets, I get to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another word that I love. He set his face toward the wilderness that, that um, makes me think of Jesus where it says he set his face toward Jerusalem, that determination, that to me, I don't even know if this is right. I should probably look to see whether that's what that phrase means in Hebrew, but that idea that he set his face towards the wilderness. He's like, I'm not looking at anywhere else. I'm setting mm-hmm. my face towards wilderness, towards so these determined. people. Yeah. That's good. Let's just wrap up real quick in Psalms. I'm just going to give you the one highlight that I have. Let's see if we can do it in less than five minutes. Yeah. Psalm 56 verse eight. You have kept count of my tossings, which is like the tossing and turning in bed. You have cut count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It just reminds me of all that. So much of the Psalms this year remind me of what I was walking through last year. Mm -hmm. So in Psalm 55, where he's talking about the trouble that he's having with his enemies. And he's like, he's like, if it's not for, it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolent Mm -hmm. with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. And that last year when I was walking through really what was happening was like just some trauma from other friendship stuff was triggered by a friend who was a really strong believer. And I was like, just broken all over again. And like a child. And just like that, just that reminder, like that David experienced 
that same kind of pain. And there's nothing like the kind of pain that you experience when there's a broken relationship with somebody that you walk closely with, with the Mm -hmm. Lord, you know, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of pain altogether. And to see David articulating it Mm -hmm. um, in his own traumatic, like just, this is traumatic. This is like nothing I've ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. It's validating. Yeah. It's validating is what it is. And it goes hand in hand with that tears and the tossing and turnings and thinking like he did, he saw every, every night I couldn't sleep and every obsession of my thoughts and every tear that I cried and he kept count and he felt that with me. It's just a really, Mm. it's a really, really precious thing. I love the end of that 56. God, you did everything you promised. And I'm thanking you with all my heart. You pulled me from the brink of death, my feet from the cliff edge of doom. Now I stroll at leisure with God in the sunlit fields of life. Mm-hmm. And there was so much I felt like in this section about those every time wide open spaces, you've like, yeah. like brainwashed me to notice that <laughs> now. And okay, so Psalm 61, 62, 63, those are really familiar Psalms, mm-hmm. but not in the message. Like they're totally different. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things, one of the ways some of it is translated is wide open spaces and breathing room and mm-hmm. Um, free Psalm 63, there's a line that says, I'm free to run and play. Mm. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful, grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life and you hold me steady as a post. It made me think of Ecclesiastes and just that idea, like go eat your bread with joy, go like that whole section in Ecclesiastes where he's basically orient your lives towards God and enjoy free to run and play. Yeah. Like, yes, yes. That's sort of like how, and I feel like I'm sort of in that, in my theology, right? Like in just my theological journey, just orient your life toward God, have faith, like simplify it. It's like faith that he will do, he will do it. He will do Mm -hmm. it. And then just enjoy, like enjoy feast on the word and enjoy the wondering and you're not going to have all the answers run and play and enjoy the story mm-hmm. that I've written for you, for you to wonder about. And it's not for you to create a box and it's not for you to put anybody else in a box. It's for you to just enjoy like who I am and getting to know me. And his word is like kind of becoming sort of a playground when you can read it with that confidence that he's going to do it. Like mm-hmm. He's going to bring it all to pass and I get to enjoy it. Yeah. You know? Yep. There's a section in Psalm 65 that's describing earth and the earth joining in the dance, like a worship dance. And one of the lines says that creation was made for this, which is one of my favorite themes to trace through scripture is how creation is this beautiful picture of God's glory. And it's there both for us to enjoy and for us to recognize that there's a creator and that he does these beautiful, wonderful things. And I want to read, I'm going to read it because this is one of those things that like, yes, you're right. This is a, this is a passage to meditate on. And I'm just going to start at verse nine. I'm guessing this. Yep. That's where, yep. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so have you prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. This is ESV, which is not uh, known for being beautiful. 
Oh, I love the ESV, especially in the Psalms poetry. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. That seems like a psalm to memorize as you're like yeah. on a cross-country trip. Yep. Hmm. That's happening soon. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I think we should start like advertising like we're talking about eschatology now. Come <laughs> <laughs> listen I, to us be confused. Yeah. I feel like you have landed confidence you have a yeah you have this place that you've landed where you can kind of like go from there yes yeah even if it's not like it's total uncertainty it's still more just like I have confidence that he will do it like that's all I've got but it's enough for me like that's yeah I feel like that's exactly what it's supposed to be yeah thanks for listening to the recap If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.